Welcome to the Night and Rose Show, where we discuss practical ways of living out an authentic Christian worldview. Today's topic is masculinity and marriage. I'm Wintry Knight. And I'm Desert Rose. So Rose, last episode, we saw that Christian men should always be focused on God's priorities, including in their relationships with women. And I think that extends into their plans for marriage. Yeah, definitely. It has to. Yep. So I thought I would talk a little bit at the start of this episode about my plan for marriage and people can kind of get an idea about what sort of things that I would have done to focus on God's priorities. So one thing for sure, I think that God definitely puts a focus on raising children in the faith in the Bible. Certainly. Yeah. Yes. I'm thinking of like Deuteronomy 6 and, and things like that. Uh, the yep, Shema. Exactly. So definitely producing effective, influential children who would go on to make a difference for Christ in this kingdom would definitely be one of my goals. And I think my frustrations in the church that you and I talked about in a previous episode, I would probably want the marriage to count for that. For whatever reason, married couples seem to be more welcome in the church. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. So it's easier for them to introduce speakers and apologetics resources and kind of train people up because they just seem to be more trustworthy looking. One other thing, when I was a university student, I noticed that there were a lot of challenges to my faith from the professors and from the other students. So I would love for my wife to be able to go onto the campus and help out with a group like Ratio Christi or something like that. Maybe even invite the college students over, but basically give college students a place to air their doubts and their questions and even fund and organize speakers who would come on campus. You, you know, you always need the students to kind of sponsor it and have something to do with it. But I think having an adult there certainly wouldn't hurt. Yeah, that's such a great idea. I've spoken on many college campuses for Ratio Christi and had students over to my home to have conversations with them. It's nice. That's a, so much fun. Yeah. And another thing that you do that I think would have been useful is don't you have like an influence in your neighborhood? Yeah, I love mentoring the neighborhood kids. We play football. We play Nerf guns. We go for walks together. They help me walk my dog and we have great conversations. Um, we have spiritual conversations about even things that their parents don't know. Like wow. uh, one of my neighbors recently, I went on a walk with one of the 10 year olds. I mm -hmm. throw the ball around within the neighborhood and, and on our walk. I taught him the moral argument for God's existence, and he went nice. home and shared it with his family. And his mom texted me <laughs> later that day and said, hey, I don't suppose you know how my 10-year-old knows the moral argument, do you? <laughs> and I thought that was so great. I said, yeah, yeah, guilty. And she's like, I love it. Thank you for being a great influence on my children. Yeah, marriage is that like it can be difficult. But I think if you partner up with the right person who is having these kinds of influence, it makes it all worthwhile. So um, do you know any other areas where you think it would be good to have an influence? Yeah, well, certainly I would say policymaking. This was my undergraduate degree, though, and I, I used to work as a lobbyist for a conservative Christian organization in mm -hmm. Washington, D.C. So wow. this is something I'm passionate about. But certainly I would, you know, I, I think it's important for us to be influencing not only the church, but also the culture to the extent that we're able for goodness and 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 beauty mm -hmm. and, and truth. Right. And in, and you also have your own apologetics ministry where you do conference speaking, podcasting, blogging, curriculum creation, and even a podcast with me. Yes. Yeah. All that stuff is just so much fun. I, I It's a tremendous privilege to be able to do um, all of this ministry with my life. I love it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of the things that you mentioned that are, that are marriage goals for, for you or that you had in mind 
mm-hmm. for your marriage are really kingdom-focused, excellent goals that I really think men ought to be interested in for their marriage. Um, they, But you don't just uh, you know pick any woman and have her just uh, be able to suddenly do these things or be excited about these things. And so I really mm-hmm. think men should be evaluating women during the courting or dating process to see if women are able and or even have any interest in helping them achieve these goals. I mean, I know that that a lot of women get upset when when you talk about, you know, evaluating them on this basis and have all these, you know, reactionary thoughts like, don't be judging me. <laughs> the reality is you're always being judged. Okay. So so women are, you know, they they may be they're either going to be judged on just their physical appearance or on kingdom values, uh, right. kingdom purposes. And so I love that you evaluate women for for kingdom purposes. Yeah. I also actually know a lot of men who object to the idea of having a detailed plan for marriage that's intended to serve the boss rather wow. than to serve themselves. Yes, yeah. I <laughs> So who did they who did they think the marriage should serve? They from a lot of the comments I've read, a lot of men seem to think that marriage is all about serving them. They want women who can, you know, bring them slippers, who can bring them <laughs> Who Sorry. can bring them food? And that's about the extent of it. And not that there's anything wrong with those things. It's wonderful to make a man his, you know, a meal and uh, and to, I'm sure, to bring him his slippers. But I love that you, as, you know, as a man with a good education, good career, wise financial decisions, who has thought a lot about these things and a lot about your purpose and mm-hmm. uh, direction, that you have more in mind for your marriage than just those things. Yeah. Um, you know, as you often say, to whom much is given, much is expected. Yeah. And you're absolutely right about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So whenever I get kickback from women, when I ask them questions about what do you want this marriage to count for in terms of God's priorities, it's usually not a case where they say, well, I have different priorities and they're better for God. That would be a valid answer. You know, if someone said, that's a pretty sure. good plan, but check this out. You know, I've got this plan right. that's going to be even better for God. And then, you know, what do you think about that? Should we switch to this plan? That's not what happens. That would be a good answer. But I think what happens is there's this kind of skepticism about making plans. They want things to be more spontaneous. And what I've encountered is spontaneous usually means they want to be the decider and they want to decide on the basis of feelings. And the customer of the relationship isn't going to be God, which is Mm -hmm. why they're kind of pushing back against this structure. To me, that doesn't seem like a good bet. Like you said, I've made good decisions in education, career, and finances. Other men who haven't made good decisions may have low expectations, but I have high expectations. Yeah. And I absolutely love that about you. I also love that you expect and are equipped to be the leader in your marriage, um, should you ever get married. And I was wondering, um, can we talk a little bit about what leadership in marriage means? For sure. I know that, you know, as a, as a foundation that we've kind of already laid, we've talked about how God is the boss. The man is an ambassador for Christ, a representative on this earth. He's a steward of God's resources. Mm-hmm. He's an agent of God. He serves, you know, in, in a lot of ways as a spy, um, spying out the land and and finding out what the opposing team, what the enemy is up to and preparing and equipping for those and serving Absolutely. as a warrior. Yeah. And serving as a warrior to fight evil and to defend what is good. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we've also talked about how man is accountable first and foremost to God, not to his wife or his peers or his feelings. 
you know, we, we talked in the last episode, I think it was at a minimum, it was implied that a man needs to be concerned with what is in the best interests of his community, of his family in Christ. But also I think, in, you know, in this episode, we'll talk a little bit more about how he also needs to be concerned about the best interests of uh, what is in the best interests of his wife and children if he has decided to get married. Mm-hmm. So um, you've talked a lot about the man's role as protector, provider, and moral and spiritual leader. Yes. And I'd love to talk about those. Okay. So what does it mean to be a protector today? When I was in my 20s, I had a lot of friends when I became a Christian. I had a lot of friends who would talk about how important it was to find a man who was a good protector. But then they would also talk about how they needed, you know, they really wanted him to be, most importantly, they wanted him to be tall and handsome and muscular. And so, I mean, you I, you would think from listening to them that what it means to be a protector, you know, in, in the 21st century is, you know, that a man needs to be good at like wrestling bears or something. I mean, <laughs> is, is this is this what we mean by protector? What does a man need to be able to protect from? Yeah, so that's a great question. So I've actually heard, you know, prominent people in Christian ministry say, define masculinity that way, that the man uses his physical strength in order to benefit the woman. So messing up not only the priorities of relationships, but also what is the most common threat. So the most common threat is not going to be physical altercations with other people. The most common threat is probably going to be something like the public school teacher is trying to have my kid change genders or Mm -hmm. go behind my back and have them, you know, injected with certain treatments that will make them infertile or something. It's going to be it's going to be more threats that have to be countered with resources or arguments or evidence, persuasion. So let me give you an example. So for example, suppose that you have a daughter and she gets, you know, pregnant from some guy, or rather you want to prevent that from happening. It would be really good if if the man was able to protect her from a situation that could lead to that by convincing her about the humanity of the unborn. And so ability in pro-life apologetics is one way that you protect your children from getting into a situation where they have to do something dangerous and bad. Yeah, that's excellent. I I love that you mentioned apologetics and not simply pro-life. I I know a lot of parents have talked to their kids about, you know, don't have sex before marriage um, because that makes you easy or that makes you a bad person or whatever, but they don't really explain the evidence behind the consequences of that. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like like it's a priority for men to be able to protect the people in his life from lies, like lies yes. of the culture and mm-hmm. such. So one of the lies of our culture that I see all over the place now is kind of this idea of um, feminism and hookup culture. I was reading a quote actually on an article that I found through your blog in which this woman said, Quote, as someone who considers herself a feminist, I always thought that being sexual and unashamed was liberating and empowering. And for that reason, I never stopped myself from doing what I wanted to do. Wow. And I think this is a really common narrative that's being passed on to young women, that being strong and valuable means being sexually promiscuous. Mm-hmm. And that's an absolute lie from hell. That's right. That has to be stopped. Something else I hear from feminist influence is that in order for a woman to have uh, to find value um, the same as a man, she needs to have some great career, mm-hmm. which, of course, means she has to 
put her kids in daycare and let somebody else raise them while she goes and, and pursues more money or, you know, some impressive title or whatever. But actually, we've seen studies, um, including one that you've posted on your blog several times about declining female happiness over, you know, since the 1950s when women were staying at home. So women have been told that they're going to be happier if they leave their children to be raised by somebody else and they go out and get a career. But that's not what we've seen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really important for people, well, for men, I think, to be informed about the statistics and the evidence on issues like this so that when someone says, I'm going to do what the crowd is doing and and uh, you're able to say, like men are able to say, uh, um, well, men and women are able to say 20 years down the road, this is likely what you're looking at. Are you sure you want to go in that direction? So we have like right. even a student loan you know, crisis right now, 1.6 trillion in outstanding student loans. So protecting would just be, hey, I know the numbers on this and what major you should study and, and what is going to get you a job so that you don't get yourself in this situation. You're protecting them, someone from student loan debt, which could really hamper their ability to achieve goals for, for the boss, for God. Um, if, yeah. if somebody has six figures of student loan debt, all of their plans are going to be you know, in trouble. As a man, I basically see myself having to have some skill in education, career, and finances, some achievements so that I can talk about uh, things like this to people and and uh, talk from the authority of having negotiated this to some with some degree of success. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, I think of, as you talk about education, career, and finance, about the crisis we've had, we've seen with a lot of pastors in the last few years as the culture has gone far left and pastors have found themselves in the place of you know, having to make the difficult decision of feeding their families or standing by historic Christianity and speaking the truth. And we've seen a lot of people kind of wither in the face of that kind of pressure. Yeah. And I think that's that's a huge contrast to someone like you, you know, who continues to write and speak about the, the hard truths on the hard issues, mm -hmm. knowing that you don't have any financial dependence on people. And so, you, you know, you're, you're really not, they really don't have any control over you. Yeah, it's really important to be like a tent making apologist so that, you know, you have a business that funds your ministry and then you say what you want. You have freedom to do mm -hmm. that. Another thing that I think is good for protecting other people is basically um, sometimes people care a lot about what other people think of them. And one way I found to get around that is to kind of build them up with their own achievements. So, for example, in your case, like I noticed that you were starting to in your ministry, you were starting to say certain things that I thought might get you into um, trouble with certain people. So I kind of encouraged you to learn how to use a firearm and get your concealed carry permit. Yeah, that's been so much fun. I love that you did that. I love that you encouraged me to do that. I love that I followed through with that. You, you've actually encouraged me to um, learn and grow in several other areas as well. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them being uh, learning computer science, which I've been learning over the past uh, six months or so. And it's just so much fun to to achieve and to have that confidence that you know that you can do more. And I've applied those skills in my ministry. Mm -hmm. Not the firearm part. <laughs> yet. <laughs> Not yet. But, you know, bears. <laughs> but, but bears. <laughs> but certainly with the computer science aspect of things. Yeah, definitely. I see it as protecting someone to kind of give them experiences where they grow in their strength. So Brad Kunkel has a ministry called Maven where he trains young Christians and then he deploys them to various areas where they're going to encounter skeptics. Yeah, I love that ministry. 
Yes. I love that you want to talk about that. Go ahead. Yeah. So basically what we're looking at there is someone who is giving people a test and then training them for the test so that they and then they go and they have the test and they build their own confidence. Again, you want to protect someone from apostatizing over, you know, peer pressure. Right. Why don't you train them to be able to reason with people with evidence so that they have reasons for what they believe? And instead of just being swayed by, you know, the cool group or whatever it is happens to people on university campuses. I don't know. I wasn't cool when I was at university. I just studied studied and wrote code. Sometimes we were there all night in that computer lab. So yeah, protection, I think the financial situation, I was just telling you about the stock market, it's not looking too good right now. So, you know, I think men should be concerned about economic policy and probably, you know, sacrifice spending money now in order to save for future contingencies. I've seen this firsthand actually quite a bit. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a generational problem throughout my family that uh, there's a lot of spending and very little saving and several generations of people, not not everybody in my family, but Mm -hmm. it's not uncommon to have seen some of my grandparents not be equipped at all for retirement and be utterly and completely dependent on others and just be in really scary uh, situations, just completely unprepared. Just, you know, it, it's as if they thought they could work until the day they died. And wow. that did not happen. No. They they lived to be, you know, in their 90s. And, you know, we're basically kind of pushed out of the workplace. Yeah. Work isn't fun when you get older. It's It's yucky to have to get in your car early in the morning in the winter and, you know, drive through snow to get to work when you're like 70 years old. Mm-hmm. Money also helps you with having options for how to educate your kids or, or healthcare, things like that. If you you know, if you have sufficient resources, you can go to private schools or homeschooling. You don't have to depend on the public schools. You, you, you don't help yourself to outcomes. You have to, you know, make a decision that's going to get you the, the result that you're looking for. You don't just say, hey, I'm going to do what I want now. And later on, my kids are going to be Christians. It doesn't work like that. You have to sacrifice now in order to get the results you want later. Right. Exactly. Yep. And we we could apply that to all kinds of examples. But why don't we go ahead and talk about what it means to be a provider? We Mm -hmm. talked about protector. Let's talk about provider for a few minutes. Yeah. I mean, we kind of touched on that already, but basically I think men are responsible for making decisions about what to study or what trade to get into, how to pursue their careers and how to manage their finances. So what I'd like to see is men getting into STEM fields or, or trades that allow them to earn a decent income. Instead of you know choosing to study what you like and following your heart, that never works. You should definitely, <laughs> definitely pick you know, degrees or trades that are going to allow you to earn you know, 80,000, 90,000, something like that. And uh, when it comes to career, try to have a gapless resume. Definitely in your 20s, put in extra hours and save your money because you never know when you're going to need that money for a down payment or to rescue someone from a challenge or something like that. When you have a lot of money from your career, you can take over mentoring other people. You can buy them books. You can send them to conferences. You can buy them DVDs. uh, You can fund their speakers, you know, the speakers on campus. I I do that all the time Mm -hmm. with Russia Christie. They want to bring a speaker Mm -hmm. and I foot the bill so that the university students at that university, whichever it is, are going to be treated to a Christian point of view from someone who's an expert. Um, speakers like Frank Turek and Jay Warner Wallace in particular are, are really good. Yeah, those are great examples. I, I think I would probably add under provider, you know, um, children need their father. And we've seen a lot of really problematic changes in our culture mm-hmm. really since the Industrial Revolution when men began working outside the home. Mm-hmm. And and so we're we're kind of we're living in a time where 
for a lot of careers, it's very reasonable to have flexible hours or to work from home and to be available and involved in your kids' lives. So um, I know that's not an option for everyone. And uh, you know, I certainly don't want to leave anyone with the impression that if you go to an office to work, there's something unbiblical about your career. But that's just something to keep in mind when you're thinking about how to be how you can provide for your family. Uh, financial provision is not the only way mm-hmm. that someone can provide for their family. It's important. They, you know, they need to eat, they need shelter, but uh, children do need, you know, their parents as well. Yeah, that's a great point. So, yeah, as we're talking about provider also, I, you know, I think of um, these two men I know uh, and their wives and their children. I'm thinking about these two different families and how they approached the role of provider very differently. On the one hand, there's Matt, who kind of sees being a provider as kind of being an ATM. You know, his wife um, has a credit card with his name on it, and she just buys whatever she wants. She comes home with new pets just about every week of the year. Mm -hmm. Uh, She comes home with new clothes just about every day of the year. She spends, 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 and he, you know, he prides himself on being the provider of all of this uh, craziness that stresses him out. And then in contrast, I think of, a man uh, I know named Ben, who um, also makes a very nice income, but he doesn't um, he doesn't spend frivolously, and he doesn't condone that for his wife and children. And so, when his wife wanted to start a Christian ministry, his response was not okay. Whatever you want, you've got the credit card. His response was okay. Well, why don't you put together a business plan and present it to me? And tell me how you hope to achieve this and why you want to achieve this and why it's a need, why this and not something else and and how you plan to uh, make this sustainable over time. And I'll listen and, you know, use my business sense to make a good judgment and pray about it and, and you know, decide where to go from there. Mm-hmm. And his wife excitedly did that with excellence. And he said in the at the end of, of her presentation this is excellent. I'm convinced. Let's do it. And he has been wholeheartedly in from the beginning. And this is now a thriving Christian ministry mm-hmm. that many, many people are benefiting from. Yeah, that's that's so. the ideal situation. Why, why would I sit in a computer lab all night and work 70 hour weeks? It's so that my wife is going to come to me and say, hey, you're working hard so that I can have freedom to stay at home. Let me show you what I can do for our boss, you know, and the answer to that is going to be, you know, business plan is wonderful, but the answer is yes. (laughs) Uh, That's (laughs) that's what I want my marriage to be about. You know, uh, that's what Mm -hmm. I want my wife to be uh, doing. I love it. I love it. So really quickly, um, what about moral and spiritual leadership? Mm-hmm. What do you want to say about that? Yeah. So basically, I think the problem today is, is that people think that they can, you know, pass on spiritual and moral truths to the people around them, like for free. And a lot of people try to do it by being super hyper pious or sanctimonious, but it doesn't work like that. I think if you want to defend something like the existence of God or the resurrection of Jesus, you got to have, you got to have uh, equip yourself to make a case using uh, evidence. And similarly, people don't think this, but it's true with moral truths. If you want to put forward the pro-life view to other people, or you want to defend natural marriage as being best for children, or you want adults to stop being so selfish and consider that marriage is a stable environment for their child's development, these things don't happen the way that you may see many Christians doing. You have to mm-hmm. put in the time in the books and train yourself, and then you have to um, show your work to other people. And in addition to that, I think that there is leading by talking and there's leading by doing. 
So uh, in my case, uh, I blog and pod, and we have this podcast um, where we're constantly talking about the evidence for uh, what happens to children if, if the parents divorce or, you know, what happens to children if um, they're missing their mother or their father. The point is, is uh, when, when I talk about moral and spiritual issues, I'm talking about evidence. And I think that that's how you have the ability to lead. You're not giving your opinion. You're talking about what you know. And that's a big difference. Yeah, exactly. So I'd love to talk about um, servant leadership just for a minute. Do you have any thoughts on that? I know this is really, really popular right now, particularly with like egalitarians. Uh, They want to kind of cash out the leadership role of the man as being a servant and kind of like literally like being like a, a butler you know, or something. Mm-hmm. But I don't accept that at all. My, my background is reading military history. And so when I think of leadership, I think, I think about uh, the men having a good commanding officer and benefiting from that, being grateful mm-hmm. to be well led by someone who can read the battlefield and know what to do so that they get the result they want, which is winning and surviving the battle. So I don't think that a commanding officer should focus on serving. I think he makes good decisions and that's what his, yeah. that's what people are looking for. I agree. I agree. I, I, I mean, I love being led by competent, capable, wise uh, leaders. I don't need a butler. If I, if I want a butler, I can, you know, I can hire somebody. Mm-hmm. Well, I can't really because I do ministry uh, with my, with my money. <laughs> but <laughs> um, uh, anyway, you know, I, I hear, um, like Christian feminists say to support this idea of servant leadership. Well, Jesus came to serve, not to be served. Mm -hmm. Um, And he washed his disciples' feet. Yes, those things are true. They're in the Bible. But but that is not, um, you know, the washing of the disciples' feet is not all that Jesus did. And that's not all there is to the story. But I think it's important to, um, it's valuable here to point out Ephesians 5, 22 to 24. There's a parallel made between Christ as the head of the church and husbands as the head of the wife. And so Ephesians 5, 22 to 24 says, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord for the Lord is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So we ought to have this idea of um, the church and our relationship as the church with Christ when we're thinking about the relationship between a husband and wife. The father, not the church, was the head of Christ during his time on earth. So the church was not telling Jesus what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't give him commands. They didn't get equal say in decision-making. They didn't have authority over Jesus. Jesus was the head. He he took the initiative. He, you know, in obedience to his father. And so th- this is an example we have to keep in mind as we talk about this topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't read this passage the way most people read this as a man can just marry whoever he wants to marry based on whatever criteria, you know, he has. Oh, she's really attractive. She's pretty. You know, she's fun. Uh, and then he has to point to this Bible verse and go, you have to obey me. That is not how I read this passage. I read this, <laughs> I read this right. passage as basically saying, men, this is, this is specifying the kind of woman that you should be interested in marrying is, is someone who is, who trusts you and respects you as a leader. And you should be trustworthy and respectable as a leader. So this is more saying to the man, you're going to enjoy being the leader of your own uh, home. So make sure that you pick a partner who enjoys cooperating with you to follow plans and achieve goals. Right, right, exactly. And again, that's what we see between the father and the son. You know, mm-hmm. they had the same ultimate goals, um, the same commitments. And so as the father led Jesus, you know, Jesus gladly followed and 
uh, it wasn't, we don't have any reason to believe this was, you know, there was a situation of the father pulling out some uh, trump card saying, obey me, dang it. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I, you make such a great point. Such a great point. You know, also in 1 Corinthians eleven three, it says, um, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. Okay. So the man is not just doing whatever he wants according to his feelings. His head is Christ. And um, again, there's this parallel with um, the father as the head of Christ as well. Mm-hmm. You know, people were able to tell Jesus what they wanted. They could make a case for what they wanted him to do, which direction they wanted him to go, um, you know, what they hoped to get from him, mm-hmm. just like the Old Testament prophets did. But Jesus always had the final say. And oftentimes they did not like his final uh, say, but they, you know, they had to make a decision. Did right. they trust him enough to follow him or did they insist on their own way? Leadership, if you've committed to follow Christ, you know, is submitting to Jesus and trusting him. And similarly, we need to make a decision as women if if a man is someone we trust and want to to follow. Again, you know, I had mentioned this, uh, Jesus washing the disciples' feet. A lot of people bring this up as if it's the only thing Jesus did during his time here on earth. Mm-hmm. It's not. But even if we're just looking at that one event, Jesus chose to wash the disciples' feet. He initiated it. He said, this is what I'm going to do. It wasn't because the disciples were sitting around going, my feet are dirty. I need someone to wash them. <laughs> Jesus, you're, you know, you're the head. Um, why don't you do it? <laughs> That's not the way it happened at all. But Peter didn't even Peter didn't even want Jesus to wash his feet. He protested. And then Jesus said, okay, well, if I can't wash your feet, then you can walk away and have no part with me. And then Peter's like, okay, uh, go ahead and wash all of me then, Jesus. And Jesus said, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that either. I'm going to wash your feet. So Jesus was, you know, he was very much in control for a purpose, in submission to the Father for what was best for the kingdom. And, you know, we do have an example of Jesus asking the Father, to go a different direction with something. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus asked the Father to take away the crucifixion. And if there's any other way, he said, please, let's do it. Let's go with whatever other plan there is if there's another way. And the Father said no, because he had the mission in mind. He knew what had to be done to accomplish his great purposes. And you know, he and Jesus did not let the fleshly desires of the moment dictate the decisions that were made. Yeah, definitely. I think that men need to think about this, think about their plan, and they need to be careful about choosing a wife who helps them to achieve the results that they are trying to achieve for the boss. So don't think, don't think about yourself, think about the boss, and then pick the right partner for the job. So I wanted to talk about this email from a reader, and he, this is a guy who represents the view, like the kind of patriarchal view, but it's not focused on God. Um, so he, he wrote to me this, he goes, With respect to how to submission test a woman, I disagree that the way to go about it is to have her write essays on books or on how to learn apologetics. That's what we men are supposed to do. And he also said, I don't want to see how well she submits by serving God. I want her to submit by serving me because by serving me, she is serving God. Okay, so it's she doesn't serve God. She serves him. Women. And he says this women don't have any specific contribution to ending atheism, feminism or socialism. The less they have to say about any of these things, the better sexual attraction (laughs) and submission to their husbands helps their husbands to fulfill their missions 
and visions, whatever they are. So what do you think about that? Wow. So not a fan. Um, (laughs) Okay. So he has no plan like yours to influence the neighborhood, the church, the university, nothing. He, again, you know, this is one of those guys I was referring to earlier who, who apparently wants a woman to bring him his slippers. You know, he, he's not interested in equipping his wife and children to be influential for the boss. And, you know, my prediction with this is um, that his wife is going to become really dissatisfied pretty quickly over the meaninglessness of her life. I mean, you know, he mentioned sexual attraction and submission to to the husband as being important to fulfill, you know, whatever missions there are out there. <laughs> Yeah. Um, as if we've been given no direction. I have to say, I you know, I really think that if he is concerned about sexual attraction, the way to approach that is going to be to partner with her mm-hmm. um, for kingdom achievements. She's going to be over the top excited mm-hmm. when she is equipped, when she has a purpose and value that goes beyond just serving his immediate temporary needs. Again, I'm not saying that those are bad things or that those are are not mm-hmm. um, priorities or shouldn't be. I'm just saying that women um, were created for kingdom purposes to I come agree. alongside the man and achieve um, what God has in store for us. And these are these are significant important, eternal participation in the plans of God. Yeah, here's the outcome since you mentioned. Um, He wrote, my children were educated mostly in the public schools. I wouldn't say they're effective or influential Christians. I'd say they're working out their own salvation with fear and trembling. No, my marriage and kids don't oppose atheism, socialism, or feminism in any manner other than within ourselves and a local body of believers. So, yeah. So there you go. That's yeah, that's exactly what I would expect. They're not having an impact except within themselves and those who already agree with them. Yeah. The, the, yeah he, his kids are not effective or influential. Yeah, that's that's exactly yeah. what I would expect. I think expect people there. really underestimate the benefit that having a male female pair working on these goals has. A while back, you and I were talking to a mutual friend of ours who was starting some kind of apologetics ministry uh, initiative. And I, the more that she went on about it, the more annoyed I got with the direction she was taking. And so I just wrote her a short email saying, this is not going to be effective. Uh, you're going in the wrong direction. Your, your whole enterprise is not going to work. And I stopped talking to her. And I started telling <laughs> you about what I thought about what this person had said and yes, what did you do? Yeah, so I um, started paying close attention to what um, this mutual friend was writing and the direction she was going, and evaluating it for you know the concerns of the boss, um, which are our mutual concerns, of course. Mm-hmm. And I I wrote a whole bunch of uh, emails with advice and with evidence to back up my uh, advice on. The direction she was going and the direction that I believed she should go instead. And uh, ultimately, apparently, my emails were were very persuasive because mm-hmm. she did um, change direction and improve her ministry product quite a bit. So that was actually a lot of fun. Yeah. In the military, in military terms, we talk about combined arms. So there are certain things that infantry can do that artillery can't do. There are certain things that tanks can do that uh, the Air Force can't do. And the way that mm-hmm. people fight battles and it has been this way since, you know, at least the 20th century is that they use infantry tanks and the Air Force all together in order to achieve their goals. 
So people who cut themselves off from having an effective, intelligent woman as a partner even as uh, even as friends, because, uh, you know, w- like uh, we talk about ministry all the time as friends and, and you know, how what's the best way to get things done. I think they're mm-hmm. closing themselves off from getting good results. There are times mm-hmm. when men don't have the personality or ability to do this. And this is one of the cases. So now this woman is going to put out a product that's been influenced by us. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's going to have a huge influence on a large number of people, mm-hmm. all because you were able to pick up where I left off and get things done. Yeah. And even a lot of times when the man does have the ability, I believe you, you, you know, you, you probably had the ability, but didn't have the bandwidth. And so, you know, at that time, at least, and we have different personalities. I approached it differently, I think, than you would have. Mm-hmm. But you make such a good point. I mean, a man is really cutting himself short and cutting his boss short, more importantly, mm-hmm. if he's just looking for a woman with uh, an attractive physical appearance and no ability to help him achieve. Yeah, it's all hands the, on the deck bosses. now. We're, we're in a battle. Right. It's all hands on deck. Yeah, exactly. And so single men, you know, need to keep in mind, this is my encouragement to them. Find a woman who uses her mind for God's glory. Find a woman who wants to partner with you for a life adventure and strategy and effectiveness for the kingdom. Don't settle for anything less. And likewise to women, singleness is a great way to serve the boss. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 7. You do not have to be married in order to have an important and significant role in the kingdom. And so if you can't find a man who is able to lead you well, who is respectable and trustworthy and has demonstrated such by his actions in the past, you don't need to get married to just anybody. You don't need to just marry the first hot guy who who expresses interest in marrying you. We as women need skills in order to evaluate men. So we need to be reading books on apologetics and theology, economics and worldview. Um, We need to be doing ministry. Uh, Sometimes we find out through doing ministry that there are certain ministries that we are terrible at and we want you to know part of that really somebody with different gifts altogether should be doing that. You know, and then we try something different and we realize, wow, I, I, this is my wheelhouse. This is where I want to be. And I would encourage women, you know, learn a marketable skill get a job before you're married, you know, save money. Don't go into debt. These types of things are very attractive to men. If you do hope to get married. Yeah. Even if you plan to have a stay at home wife and mom, once the children arrive, you're getting a person who has been through a little bit more um, life experience, who is going to be able to raise effective children because she just knows how the private sector workplace works and how the university mm-hmm. works and how grad school works. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Such an important point. And so I just, I would exhort women, you know, until you find a man who fits the description of masculinity that we've been describing, don't get married. (laughs) Um, Enjoy serving the boss with the gifts that you have and with the, in the community where you have influence. And this is a very valuable use of your time and of your womanhood. Yeah, I agree. And on the flip side, same thing for men. Until you find a woman who is interested in being led to serve God uh, more effectively, don't get married. Yeah, absolutely. So good. All right. I think that's all the time we have today for this episode. If you enjoy the content and enjoy the show today, please like, share, subscribe, and comment. And uh, we'll uh, always post the show notes on winterynight.com. That's W-I-N-T-E-R-Y-K-N-I-G-H-T.com. And we will see you again in the next episode.